electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the rally in the aftermath with the Fed's decision on rates and that reaction means to your money in the months ahead. We debate that now with the Investment Committee. We'll also get you ready for Apple and Amazon. Of course, those earnings coming with me in overtime. Joining us for the hour today right here, Kerry Firestone, Shannon Sakosha is here, Surat Sethi as well, and right here on set is Steve Weiss. Let's go to the wall. It is 12 noon in the east, of course. Let's check the markets and see where we are because we've kind of been all over the place. And here we are with a little bit of follow-through positive now. 32,383. That's where the Dow sits. That's good for 186, a bit better than one half of 1%. It's the NASDAQ, half of a percent. S&P doing pretty good at the moment. 10-year note yield, 269. The big question, I think, Weiss, at this point in time, is did the market get it right? Did the market get it right after the Fed chair? Because the narrative was he was more dovish, that you're basically peak inflation, peak rate hikes, just had two 75s, not going to get anything bigger than that. You may not get another 75, that we're closer to the end, that he's going meeting by meeting. He acknowledged the economy is slowing and that rate hikes have yet to work their way through the system. And the market apparently loved it. Yeah, the market did, and, and, and I do think the market got it right. And uh, last week when I was on, you know, I commented, look, if he gives a nod to the fact that commodity prices have come down, maybe not say that specifically, but that there's been some relief on the inflation pressures, and I never expected him, nobody should have expected him to do a complete 180, that the market would take any sign positively. And particularly, you know, I felt that given that the market was obviously in a glass half full, as it always is, rather than glass half empty as was a month ago. So when the, when the press conference started, I did put on some pretty sizable positions in the Qs, VOO and SMH. Came out of the VOO, uh, actually came out of the, SM, uh, the Qs this morning, but went back in uh, when I saw the markets recovery. It's so unusual to have a big move like yesterday post a Fed meeting where he really didn't say we're done. He's actually going to keep going. So I wouldn't read it as dovish as perhaps the rest of the market. But look, I think the market can continue to rally here for a little bit. You've got the big news out of the way. Now, of course, if you have Apple and Amazon really, really missed today, which I do not expect, I do expect misses, then, uh, then it's a different story. But right now, and if you don't have inflation, a ridiculous number tomorrow, uh, I think you can continue to rally. But uh, then as we get into the fall, it's going to be a different story. Okay, Surat, how would you answer the question? Did did the market get it right? Is it getting it right at the moment? Ten years down at 269. Uh, Stocks are trying to get the follow through from that big rip yesterday. I think it did. I mean, he definitely uh, gave a tone that, listen, we're we're data dependent, which he's been saying all along. 
But he's also saying, like, look, uh, things are slowing down and we're not in this growth, growth phase and we're going to stay really focused on, on the data. And I think the data that they're going to be looking at is also going to be employment, because as soon as employment rolls over, that's when the Fed will actually probably start signaling like, hey, we're going to get closer to the end because the wage increases is a big part of this uh, inflation component. And you're seeing all the other stuff coming down, commodities, input prices, inventories. I mean, the big slowdown is inventories, the, the glut of inventories that we have. So I do think what they said was, hey, we're not just going straight to keep on raising rates. We're on that course. And of course, the data supports it. We will. But if not, we will we will then relook at the numbers. Kerry, should we be more optimistic today than we were a day ago or no? Well, I think the market was optimistic yesterday, and it is today. It was an interesting start. You know, it looked like it would be weak, and then it came back because, uh, as Jay Paul said yesterday, it feels like it tastes right. It's the Goldilocks scenario and that we may uh, be in a recession. He said unlikely, but if the second quarter was a slowdown and the first quarter negative two in a row, um, you need a few other factors. But if we're having a recession and things aren't falling off a cliff, I think that's pretty good news. We're having earnings that are not as bad as expected. I mean, that's the big catchphrase that we're all seeing numbers that are weak, but they're not horribly weak for the most part. A few have been very disappointing, like Snap, but Netflix, bad, but not too bad. And Google, bad, but again, the market liked it. If we can continue on that trajectory and get through this weakness in the economy, I think that says that perhaps by the end of the year, we'll have run, run the course, meaning inflation will be down, interest rates have come down already. Employment may be down, but that would be, as Surat said, Wages could be down, mm -hmm. and that's a better picture. The market, by the way, is showing some support at the 50-day moving average. I think that's a very good sign for the market. We were well below it. Now we're above it, and the market needs to sort of stabilize here, and then it can, and then it can move forward over the next few months, possibly. Shand, um, the tide has turned, it sounds like, in, in terms of what everybody here is suggesting, though Evercore ISI isn't really buying that. They say this is a bear market rally, implying likely a lower low this year or next before the bear ends. It goes to the question of whether the market is trying to read into something that didn't happen yesterday, that Jay Powell didn't say. Yeah, I, I, I think that there are two sides to this coin. I actually feel that Powell was fairly emphatic on the fact that they continue to worry about inflation. Um, I think that although we're seeing improvement, just think about where we're starting from. 9.1% last month. Um, wage growth, you know, at, at somewhere in the neighborhood of 3% and declining, um, as already pointed out. And so that spread is pretty meaningful. And the decline in, discre in discretionary income is certainly bearing out in spending. Uh, if you look at and you break down this GDP print Scott, you see goods coming way down, services up only a little bit, housing construction coming way down, um, you know, business expenditures coming way down. So the way that I look at this is, yeah, I mean, this is what we sort of expected. And Powell does have some cover in that the economy is doing for him what he needs it to do, especially in that goods number with that good spending coming way down. But I think we have a couple more months here before we reach a, a level of consumer spending um, and discretionary income that people can get comfortable again that 2023 is going to be a better year from an overall growth perspective. All right. I mean, Scott Minard, Guggenheim says the markets are relieved that the Fed is in the process of pivoting. The question is, are they really in the process of pivoting? 
Let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. He was in the room yesterday, as all of you know, asked a question to the Fed chair, as he always does. And frankly, Steve, you throw cold water on the idea that the market is getting this right. At least you seem to intimate that earlier today. Yeah, uh, I didn't hear the, the dovishness that the market seemed to react to. A bunch of us in the room didn't. Uh, when I read a bunch of the <clears throat> pardon me, Fed observers who I, uh, I follow closely, Krishna Guha out of Evercore, uh, Roberto Perley out of uh, Capital Economics, uh, those guys didn't see it either. Uh, there was a sense, Scott, and, and I, I hate to say this, but that the market wanted to hear a pivot, and that's what the market heard, whether or not there was actually one there. I'm kind of uh, in line with where Shannon is. I, I heard the Federal Reserve Chair talk about the need to increase rates, even if potential growth declines. Uh, declining potential growth or recession are the kind of classic cues for the Federal Reserve to cut policy. Um, I don't hear the Fed chair saying he's going to do that. He has some problems he has to deal with in inflation. I think it's going to take a little bit of time to work this through. Maybe we get, and maybe this is what the market is picking up on, a faster decline in inflation than either the Fed or, or is out there in the, in the consensus forecast. But uh, if that doesn't happen, then the Fed's got an appointment with three and a quarter, three and a half percent. Um, and he then referenced 380 as the other point where uh, um, the market is where, where the Fed is headed. Now, that may be an old forecast from the Fed. But if you look at it, Scott, uh, I think I sent a chart on this ahead of time. There's a greater than one percentage point disagreement between the Fed and the market as to where we are end of 2023. Now, the Fed's going to get another chance to look at that <clears throat> yellow number again, that yellow bar again for the end of uh, uh, in September with its forecast. But that's a pretty big gap right there. And that may explain the market's optimism. I don't know that the market is right there. I don't know that the Fed is right. I mean, even a guy like Jeffrey Gunlock was positive after what the Fed chair have to say. I don't know if you heard any of our, our interview, but he, he basically said that Powell got his mojo back. They're no longer behind the curve and that all of this is good for risk assets. Let's listen to Gunlock, Steve. I want you to hear it and sure. react to, to that to the other side. Sure. Markets are priced cheaply enough thanks to all of what's happened in the past few months, where you're at a starting point for certain parts of the credit market, and I'd certainly say for some of the riskier parts of the stock market, where you're from a starting point where the valuation is uh, such that the uh, possibility of good returns, I'm not talking about in a month, but good returns over a six to 12 month horizon have significantly improved. I mean, he said, I'm going to say a crash landing is avoidable that's a change for someone who was looking for a pretty hard landing. And essentially, we are closer to the end. And that's what Powell led on to yesterday. So why shouldn't the market be re reacting the way it did? Wapner, if you think I'm going to debate bond valuations with Gunlack here on national television, you're just asking the wrong guy. I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jeffrey anytime on the outlook for Fed policy. I feel very confident about, how, how, about the trajectory there and how the Fed reacts. I am not going to argue with him whether or not bonds or stocks or risk assets are more or less cheaply priced right now. They're down a whole lot. Um, and, and if he thinks there's value there, well, I would go with that before I'd go with anything I even thought. But the, but the point is that maybe <clears throat> those who suggest, and maybe you're on this side of the fence, and it certainly sounds like you are, who think that the markets are misreading it, you guys are the one that, who, who, who are wrong. And then the markets are, got it dead right. Um, look, Scott, I think that what happened yesterday was Powell tried to tap dance and get two months of time. 
because he's got the two CPI reports, the two inflation reports, uh, sorry, the two uh, uh, employment reports until September. He's going to probably give a fairly important major speech in August that may lay out something of a road ahead that we're kind of lacking here. Um, and I don't know the way things are going to work out, Scott. If you think that we're going to have inflation come back under control um, and, and do so fairly quickly without the Fed going into punishing territory of three and a half to four percent, um, you should not be anchoring television. You should be taking all of your money and going all in on the stock market if that's your uh, uh, trajectory. I'm a little more uh, suspect on that. I think it's going to take a little time in part, Scott, because I think we have this labor problem that's not being focused on. Let me just tell you one thing, Scott. We asked in our CNBC Fed survey, I didn't, I didn't put this out yet, um, what the number one thing the federal government could do to help solve the inflation problem. Do you know what the answer was? I'll give you one guess. Go, no, you tell me. I'm writing stuff down as you're talking. You tell me. Increase legal immigration. This idea that we have this incredibly tight labor market, we are headed, Scott, for the weirdest recession, if that's where we're going, than we've ever had. We have cyclical downturn right now and a secular demographic problem in the job market that means that we may have a problem. And as Aneta Markowska said from Jeffries today, what's a recession without layoffs? Not a recession at all. I feel like this whole conversation then boils down to where past neutral we go. And everything exactly. comes down. Everything comes you down to that. You are 100% right. That is the thing I've been trying to focus on. Is it a three and a quarter, three and a half world? Is it a 4% world? What needs to be done? There's Larry Summers out there. I respect his point of view. He thinks the Fed may have to go into these punishing four to five percent territory to get inflation under control. I'm a little more optimistic than that. I'd like to see, you know, but but you have look what's going to happen, Scott, in Europe this wintertime with natural gas prices. Mm -hmm. Do you know? I don't know. You're going to have maybe a major recession there, which will be disinflationary. But also there could be a huge spike in natural gas prices, depending upon what happens with Putin in Europe. And you, and you can understand Gunlock's point of view, because <clears> when I asked him where they're going to go past neutral, is it three? Is it four? He said three, which would make sense to okay. think that that's closer to the end of the cycle if we're already yeah. at neutral. Yeah. As the Fed chair said yesterday, to which I would say to you again, if in fact we are at neutral, why shouldn't we be positive on risk assets? Well, a lot of people think that that neutral is a weird neutral, right? If you are doing 9% inflation, remember, you're still on a, on, on a real basis, uh, deeply negative in rates, right? So tell me what the right underlying inflation rate is. I don't know that it's 2%. Remember, the, the Fed is at neutral now if it looks at a long-term uh, uh, inflation rate of 2%. I'm just not sure that's the case. Yeah. Good stuff, Steve, as always. I enjoy you. debating. I wish I had better answers, Scott, and I really enjoy your panel trying to puzzle this through and figure out where people should put their money. And we enjoy having you part of it. Steve Leesman, our senior Thanks. economics reporter, joining us, uh, looks like, from D.C. Uh, after the meeting yesterday. So how about this, uh, this idea that it's okay to think that you can get good returns in, in risk assets, not in a month, but six to 12 months, when that has been very much in question for the, math, the, the last many weeks. Yeah, so, so let me be clear my positioning. The reason why I went long and why I think the market continue to go is because you got the major events out of the way. But you have not seen the tightening really hit the economy. As Powell said, it takes a while to go through. They are going to continue to tighten. So when we come September, October, which is six months into it, and the balance sheet starts rolling off, that's when I think you'll see the economy tighten up a little more and slow down a little more. In terms of six to 12 months, well, my soft target for adding on 
more exposure and consistent and finding great stocks. I'm being surgical now. We'll talk about one stock later on. Is in six months to do it then. Because at that point, I think you'll be at the bottom of what the tightening will be, and then you'll be able to come out of it. So, so look, I think he's right. I think 12-month time frame is always reasonable for the market, absent you know some extraneous events like we saw in 2000, where it took 10 years to recover. Sure, but a We're deep, not a deep recession makes that time frame not work. That's, that's I don't think mind. there'll be a deep recession. You're not going to have great returns for the next 6 to 12 months, or right. good returns for the next 6 to 12 months, if you have a recession of any sort of magnitude beyond uh, shallow. The reason why I don't think you will is because I don't believe that you're going to see the labor, the headcount cuts. Okay. Because companies are so scarred from not being able to get people, they take a long-term view. So they're not going to have massive layoffs. You've had overhiring with the tech companies, so they're cutting back. They will lay off. But the, the general companies, no. They don't want to go through this cycle where they fire them only to bring them back. They'd rather keep them and cut costs elsewhere. Okay. So, Shan, we, we move past the Fed and we move towards... Apple and Amazon in overtime tonight, which we'll have the results, obviously, as, as they break in the stock move as, as it happens. Um, expected to post the first iPhone sales decline in almost two years. They've already warned about revenue growth being hit because of what's happening in China. There are concerns on the services business, as Katie Huberty put that note out some seems like six weeks ago at this point. What are your expectations as a shareholder going in? Are you are you more concerned because of the stock move into the number? Right. Stocks up like 15 percent off of the mid-June lows. Well, I think that's telling you that the market feels like much of the pain that they're going to discuss today in this earnings report is probably close to or, or near to close to priced in. Um, we're underweight this, this holding. However, I think what you touched on China is, for me, the biggest variable here because it affects not only demand for handsets, it affects the supply for handsets. And as anybody knows who has an older iPhone, this um, this cycle, this replacement cycle is critical for them to grow services revenue because you can't put more apps and you can't upgrade the apps you have on an old device. And so any sort of delay, I don't think the demand's destructed um, in terms of replacements for six sevens. Um, I think what we're going to see, though, is this delay. And so I think their transparency about the challenges they're seeing in demand in China, as well as those supply chain considerations, are going to be paramount here because it trickles into the other parts of the business that you mentioned that could potentially be at risk. What about the, the slowdown in services revenue growth, which is the growth engine at this point uh, for Apple? The, the reason why you're still willing to pay an above market multiple for that stock? That is, I mean, that's the challenge. But the, but the thing is, is that you have to go back to handsets, Scott. It can, you can talk about discretionary income. You can talk about whether I'm spending $3 on an app here or an upgrade here or to buy some extra lives in Candy Crush or whatever people are doing. Um, but I think when you come back to it, you need to have the handset replacement cycle, this long term, long tail replacement cycle continue in order for you to drive services revenue because the better phones are better with wearables and they're better with services. And that is the critical piece. And so, again, it goes back to handsets at the end of the day. Speaking of services, carry Amazon, which you own. You need, you know, pretty strong services to make up for any slack that you're seeing in, in the consumer and um, e-commerce, the marketplace. Yeah, exactly, Scott. So AWS will be critical, and we've seen a little bit of a mixed bag 
on the storage business, cloud storage, uh, from other companies. But with, with Amazon, this stock has underperformed for well over a year now. Uh, it's really the weakest of the FANG stocks other than Netflix. And a lot of expectations have been trashed. Um, I, I think that it's the type of name where we're going to see, as with Apple to some extent, whether the retail slowness we've seen across the board, if you look at Target and Walmart, is affecting Amazon more or less. We're still seeing growth in e-commerce. So that, to me, is some sort of a floor and protection on how they've been affected by the slowdown of the consumer. If they're hit very hard, that will be a glass half empty. That will hurt the stock. We suspect that that's not going to be the case, that while it's not going to be a great number, they're going to at least show resilience. Mm -hmm. AWS will be a good number. And, and they have committed to having cost control and caring more about earnings progression, okay. which they've talked about in the last couple of calls. Right. Surat, you own both. So sum it up for us before we take this break. Yeah, so let me, let me start with Amazon. I think the key is going to be what levers are they going to pull. Remember, Amazon can cut back CapEx. They've already indicated and hinted at it. So I think if the retail number, which we're all expecting, is going to be low, given what happened to Walmart and Target. So I feel they're going to, they're going to do that with, with retail. And I think AWS, they're going to show if they, if they can get expanding margins there, that's going to be the catalyst for the stock. I think with Apple, Shannon hit on the head. It's going to be more of a, hey, can we meet our demand it, and, and what is causing that? If it's a demand destruction issue, I think the stock's in trouble. If it's a supply issue, I think they'll get a pass. All right, good stuff. Let's take that break. Straight ahead, our halftime headliner today, Nancy Davis of Quadratic Capital, joins us next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, it's taken a while, but as you see there from all that green on your screen, we do have some decent follow through after yesterday's monster rally following the Fed. On that note, let's bring in our halftime headliner today, Nancy Davis, CIO of Quadratic Capital, for more on the markets. Good to see you again. You told our producers today, quote, the market continues to believe that this aggressive hiking cycle is unlikely to end well. Isn't it exactly the opposite? 
Well, we have the tale of two different markets. So the rates market is saying, you know, the end of the world is coming. You can see that with the inverted yield curve, whereas the equity markets is like party on. So it's a very interesting dynamic. I'm not saying one market's going to be right over the other, but the bond markets are still like you can own a a three-month T-bill or a six-month T-bill and get paid more yield than a longer dated bond. So this inverted yield curve is not a healthy sign. It's a sign that the rates market thinks the Fed is going to over tighten policy rates and is going to slow growth. But equities, I think, really saw this as a relief that we didn't have as hawkish commentary yesterday as we have historically. I mean, you were expecting hawkish yourself from my conversation with you the other day in, in overtime. Were you taken by surprise? No, I thought the Fed was super boring yesterday. They didn't say anything different. There was no new surprises. It was all priced in. It was a big yawn, unfortunately. You really think so? Because even Gundlach told me yesterday that, you know, Powell is no longer behind the curve, that it was his best performance, um, that he essentially has his mojo back. And here's what he says about the idea of a hard landing, one that you say is coming and that one he has maintained is coming too, but maybe not so much anymore. I'm going to say a crash landing is avoidable. I think that a soft-ish landing is your best case. I I, probably wouldn't give it great odds. I think we're going to have uh, some uh, noticeable economic distress, but I don't think it has to be uh, really a free fall because Jay, I think, gets it now that he's in sync with the market. How would you respond to that? I mean, I do think it was a really great performance yesterday. I mean, look at other Fed meetings. Powell's been talking all about the risks and the geopolitical situation. There was no mention of anything negative yesterday. He was very optimistic in his tone outside of talking about uh, inflation hurting hurting individuals and certain uh, people in the economy. But he was very, very positive. And I think the market is reading that as more dovish and that he gets that if he hikes policy rates, the other 100 basis points that's priced in as of yesterday, even before the 75 basis point hike, that he probably will tank the economy. So I think, you know, I agree with the comments about, yeah, he did he did better. He does seem to get it now. But I also think you have to question whether the Fed hiking policy rates is going to have any implications on the supply side issues and whether it's going to get more people back into the labor market and increase that labor participation. I think the Fed hiking policy rates is just hitting the demand side. And we have all the other issues, which are pandemic related and geopolitical, that the Fed really doesn't have uh, control over. And I think the markets are giving you this great opportunity because inflation expectations in the future are actually not very high. They're way below where realized inflation is. Um, If you look at 10-year break-evens or the five-year, five-year or the inverted yield curve, the market is saying future inflation expectations are very, very contained, very, very little over that 2% target. One of the best opportunities that you talk about is to, you know, hedge expected interest rate volatility, or certainly to play it through the the product that you you have, the, the eyeball. I'm wondering if we need to reset our expectations now for what interest rate volatility is truly going to be given what the chair had to say yesterday and how the market's reading it, financial conditions have eased. And you would suggest that perhaps it would should be the opposite. It isn't. 
I want you to listen to what Gunlock said about that, too, because it speaks directly to what you look at best. We've been having a lot of volatility in the credit markets. June was a terrible month for the high-yield bond market and the emerging markets. And then we've had a pretty strong rebound in particularly corporate bonds and uh, the high-yield bond market. And they really got second wind uh, after the press conference today. I, I think that we have an interesting situation now where markets are priced cheaply enough thanks to all of what's happened in the past few months. Do you have to reset your own expectations on rate volatility? Well, Scott, I think you astutely pointed out that we've been the beneficiaries all throughout the QE era of falling fixed income volatility. Now, with the Fed, even yesterday, they were talking about how they're going to increase those caps on balance sheet reduction and quantitative tightening come September. I think it's a good time to position to not just be short fixed income volatility. And most, most regular investors, any place that you own U.S. residential mortgages, are short vol because homeowners are long the option to prepay. So those owners of mortgages, a third of the Barclays Ag is short fixed income volatility or already short volatility. And that's where I think um, our product, as you pointed out, Scott, eyeball comes into play to at least neutralize the embedded short fixed income vol that most regular investors have just naturally mm. because of passive indexing. Mm. Steve Weiss has a question for you, Nancy. Hey, Nancy. Yeah. So uh, let me Thank ask you. this pointed question. Um, you've got now the 10-year at 2.7. You've got an inverted yield curve that's pretty clear. And it looks like it's staying that way. If you came into the meeting yesterday and you didn't think there was anything that changed, given your positioning before, why wouldn't you just say, let's short the tenure here? Well, you're making a bet on the level of interest rates. I think that's the thing that I really like so much about the Eyeball ETF is we're, we're betting on the, the width, the widening between short and long dated rates. We're betting that that yield curve will steepen, that it will normalize, that you will not get paid less yield to own a longer dated bond anymore. And you're not making a bet on the absolute level of interest rates because it's really hard to predict what policymakers are going to do. Um, but betting for the widening, just like with credit, you're betting that credit spreads tighten when you own a bond. With Ival, you're betting that interest rate spreads widen. And it doesn't matter with the options piece, the absolute level of interest rates. So you don't really care if 10-year yields go higher or two-year yields go lower. Either one can, can steepen the curve and can be positive for the options piece. Appreciate it, as always. Nancy, we'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Scott. All right, that's Nancy Davis of Quadratic joining us there. The headlines now with Frank Holland. Hi, Frank. Here's your news update for this hour. Former acting Trump chief of staff Mick Mulvaney is meeting with the January 6th committee today for a virtual tape deposition. Mulvaney resigned his position as special envoy to Northern Ireland the day after the riot, and he previously served as former President Trump's acting chief of staff until March of 2020. The owner of the Washington Commanders, Dan Snyder, is testifying before a congressional committee investigating the NFL team's history of workplace misconduct. Snyder, who is in Israel, agreed to testify voluntarily after committee members worked out some issues with his legal team on the terms of his deposition. And the U.S. Justice Department is investigating a cyber breach involving the federal court records management system. 
The head of the Justice Department's National Security Division told the U.S. House Judiciary Committee an ongoing investigation was underway regarding the effort to compromise public judicial dockets. That's the very latest. Scott, back over All to right, you. Good stuff, Frank Holland. Thank you very much. Shares of both Meta and Qualcomm are falling after earnings. We do have ownership on the committee, which, why, which is why we have the debate and the trades coming up. Plus, tomorrow night on CNBC, do not miss... A special report, the tech trade featuring an exclusive interview with ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood at 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right back. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313 mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, check out shares of Meta. We need to talk about that. Down nearly 6%. The Meta miss. Uh, Shannon, you own it. Carrie, you own it. Shannon, you go first. I know it's not a big position, but why even keep something uh, that's, that's not a big position if the stock continues to act like this? Well, have you seen where it's trading, Scott, from a multiple perspective? Um, This is dirt cheap. So um, engagement remains pretty stable. Obviously, the concerns here are uh, the monetization. The iOS changes have certainly hurt Facebook. They talk a lot about being able to monetize reels, but right now that's just cannibalizing stories um, and the feed. And so, you know, it's a great question. Why hang on to this stock? You can talk about the potential for growth in Web 3.0, in the metaverse. Certainly that's a longer term driver for this company. But in the near term, you have to go back to the ability to um, engage their users to be able to monetize that really large uh, user base um, and continue to generate growth in revenues and earnings based on that. But, you know, it is challenging right now. I will not lie, because right now, really what you have going for you is just the valuation. And Carrie, I mean, you can't rely on the earnings, right? And, and cheap can become cheaper if the best growth days of this company are arguably behind it. That's the debate in the market here. Maybe it's a value trap. Well, it's possible. And the stock's at roughly the low of the year. It's been a horrible performer. But as Shannon said, it's trading at an unbelievably low multiple, even if you assume that the new guidance is too high. The stock's nine times earnings if you take out cash and Facebook reality projects that they lose money on. So, 49 billion, uh, 47 billion of of cash on the balance sheet. Um, Usage was not down. They're obviously struggling to find the right place relative to TikTok. They've been dealing with Apple changes. But we think that at this price, value investors are beginning to buy it. You can have a bounce up 30%, 40% from this level. It'll still be way down from its 
its prior highs. And selling it here just seems like a mistake given how low and washed out it is. If you look at all of the changes in analyst expectations, the price targets, they've taken them down so much. You know, you could suddenly have a reversal, a bit of a, sh a short squeeze, mm -hmm. and you could get the, the stock up nicely. Yeah, I know that's when they said it. But we don't like, that, you know, we don't said. like living. I mean, it's been. A, I hear you. I Weiss, know. That, that's I what know. they said when it was down 50 percent. Anyway, Weiss. Yeah, look, to me, this is uh, this is hopes and dreams at this point. They're, they're doing a major pivot on their on their business plan, their vision. It's cheap based upon their historical earnings power, but that doesn't exist any longer. So there are plenty of stocks out there in tech that are selling for 10 to 13 times forward earnings that I think are much better. I don't like buying companies in advance of a major CapEx cycle, and that's what is going on here. And it's very uncertain if they will ever be able to monetize that because nobody knows. So I think it's a good sale here. It may bounce. Everything bounces. This bounced in the past. But overall, it is a value trap. I think it's a perfect, perfect characterization. Sarah, you're going to get a, uh, a bounce on Qualcomm, which is falling today. Uh, they beat, but their guide comes in below. And, you know, we can we can think about what maybe read through there is from that and Best Buy for Apple, which we've already discussed. But what about this name? It's now 5%. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, investors are disappointed in the forward guidance of handset sales, which, by the way, Apple's talked about, too, and which we had all expected. I mean, given what's going on in China, given what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, so I do see that. The, the, the part that people aren't really focused on, and the CEO was just on on a previous show, was, you know, they've got a contract now with Samsung till 2030. And the issue is, you know, it's not Samsung. It's Apple going forward. And does Apple at some point just take... Qualcomm completely out of the phones. That's not happening now, but that's an overhang, especially on the modem side. But 11 times earnings, really good cash flow, solid balance sheet, and their, their margins are very high. So this is not your average semiconductor uh, you know, commodity company. This is a company that reinvests billions of dollars back into their business, trading at uh, you know, 11 times where demand has slowed down. We all know that. But as soon as you get some type of pickup in China, uh, and you get the emerging markets to start picking up as well. Handset sales go up. And that's just not demand-related, it's supply-related, too. So I, I do think there's opportunity here. It's unfortunate, I mean, stock was sold off. But, but I like the numbers, uh, but the guidance was down, as, as, as we saw. No dice. This, this is to my you. point. No, I'd, I'd like to buy this. I'm going to let it settle in. Mm. This is 11 times and much more dependable earnings stream, number one. Number two, I'd point out that CEOs don't know. Last quarter they reported they gave good guidance. They are very bold up on it. And look at how fast the world changed. We're seeing that time and time again. To me, that's a word of caution. Yeah, but I mean, you're still willing to play the SMH. In, out, in, out. I mean, you, you still yeah. sense short-term opportunity can be had in this space. Yep. Maybe not in the individual name until it comes down enough, but through the Qs or, or an SMH, which yeah. you just said at the beginning of the program that you were back into, even though you've, you've moved I, out I think of this some. is viable here. I want to see what Apple has to say in the quarter, though. All right, straight ahead. Dom Chu's got our midday movers. Halftime's back right after this. back. I told you Dom Chu has a look at our midday market movers, and here he is, Dom. All right, Scott's earnings reports are driving a lot of the big movers in the midday session, so let's start with what's happening with Royal Caribbean. That cruise line operator is up around 55 to 6%, over 5.5 million shares of trading volume right now. It reports a smaller-than-expected loss on better-than-expected revenues. Travelers are continuing to fuel demand for cruises, especially those on the higher-end side of things, more expensive lines and itineraries, and by the way, customers are spending more on those cruises. 
Next up, you got shares of Harley-Davidson, which are motoring, if you will, higher by around roughly 7% or so, 2 million shares of trading volume. The motorcycle maker reports better than expected profits and revenues. It also reiterated its full-year guidance as it was able to shake off a two-week production suspension due to supplier-related issues. And then we're going to end on a big down move today. It's Stanley Black & Decker, one of the worst performing stocks in the entire S&P 500 after the tool and small appliance maker reports worse than expected profits and revenues. It also cut its full year guidance. It said it saw more softening of demand in the second half of last quarter, but that it does expect, Scott, demand to normalize. Nonetheless, the second worst performer right now in the S&P down 13 percent. Scott, back over to you. Dom, thank you. Well, I'm looking at performance over 3, 6, 12 Almost any metric you want to look at, except five years, Surat, you own this thing. My condolences. I do, and I, and, and I got egg on my face, and uh, I'm out of this one. Uh, this is one that I think, uh, give it a chance, and look, the whole housing market's come down. We, had, we were out of Masco, Fortune Brands. I should have been out of this one. Uh, I think it's time to go. They're, really, you know, to put it in Weiss's words, uh, this is a value trap at this point. There's really not much opportunity in the next three, six, nine months. Uh, especially for this company, margins are going to be compressed, input prices are going up, and demand is slowing down. So uh, I, I think this is one to, to at least uh, take a step back and, and revisit it sometime down the road. All right, so just to be clear, you have sold it or you will? I have been selling it, and I will sell the rest that I have. Okay, gotcha. Just want to make sure we're, all, we're uh, on top of that. Yep. Up next, we have trades on more of the day's big movers, including one of the best performers in the Dow today. We're back in two minutes. Dow's good for 220. Busiest week of earnings season is coming to a close at the end of this week. Let's go through some of today's big movers. Surat, Honeywell, you own it. They beat. I do. Top and hey, bottom. Finally have something going up. Yes, it beat a great management team. Um, they are in some of the best spaces, uh, aerospace, which is improving, and energy. Uh, I think this company is one of the best well-run companies out there, uh, and I continue to own it and will buy it. Rockwell, they beat top and bottom. Shannon, you own that. We do. We just bought it in May. Um, really playing on uh, the need for more automation in the industrial sector. We think that the reshoring of the U.S. economy is going to continue to support demand for Rockwell's products. Um, and the valuation is still very compelling. Man, Steve Tuza, he raised the price target to 180. He reiterated his underperform. He says it's still expensive. You disagree? Yeah, I disagree. I think I think the valuation is still in the range. Uh, we think that there is a, a secular tailwind for this company, and they have been beset by significant supply chain concerns and considerations. And I think when, once some of that lifts, um, I think this is going to be a, a very nice way to play a more high beta name in the industrial sector. Take a look at Merck, Surratt, another beat, top and bottom. Uh, I like this one, too. I like this one and Bristol. Uh, I think this is uh, these companies have secular growth in an uncertain market. Um, so owning companies like Merck, I think, with a good dividend and a growing uh, pipeline is, is the way to go. I'm going to jump around a little bit to get Kerry involved. American Tower in line guide. Nah, not so great. What's the read on American Tower here? Uh, well, the market seems to like it. Uh, it still has a lot of 5G to uh, integrate into their business. Uh, Sprint has had some turnover, and the weakness has been in the U.S. and North America. Internationally, business has been strong. Uh, sort of the same store sale type of metric has been 
good for them. Nice cash flow. We still think the stock's interesting right here, and we would be we uh, we'd be buying it. I'm pulling up O'Reilly as well, Carrie. Give me a comment on that. It's up two percent after its earnings report. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a mess. Uh, remember, with higher gas prices, people drive less and they need more parts for their car, need less parts for their car. Uh, however, the price of gas is starting to come down. Oil is down. There, it, it's a good consumer product and continues to show nice, uh, nice growth on a um, organic level. Okay, we will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about a downgrade for Best Buy. The retailer cuts its outlook. Shannon owns it. We'll have the debate in the trade next. It's our call of the day. We will get to our call of the day in, in just a minute. I mentioned Best Buy. I do want to get to a new buy from Weiss. Yes. Mr. Negative has a new buy. What's up? Your excitement's palpable. It is. Yeah. Uh, dear, look, uh, I agree with Joe Terranova. Uh, there is a food shortage. He's making the ad crate trade. He owns this. Look, there's a food shortage around the world, not just because of what we're seeing in Ukraine and Russia, but this one will be countercyclical. So while about a third of their exposure is in construction and forestry, it's an extraordinarily well-managed company. Down dramatically. I think it's very cheap. You're at about 13 times this year on an EBITDA basis. You're at about 9, 10 times next year. And their ROE, their return equity, is just eye-popping. So this is a position. This is not a trade. They report mid-month uh, August. Uh, it's not a full position yet. I'm going to wait to see what happens in the quarter. Hopefully they miss. I can get in cheaper. Okay. But, but I think it's, a, it's just a great story. I've regretted not owning it for a while. Now I get my opportunity. All right. Good to hear about that one. The shares of DE. Uh, let's talk about shares of Best Buy, uh, Shan, because they cut their outlook. And uh, what are we supposed to take from this here? The stock is up which I'm not sure what you gleaned from that, but give me a read here. Well, uh, having avoided so far a lot of these retail downgrades or warnings, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see this one. Um, really, the, the point here is, is that they're bringing down their expectations for year-over-year same-store sales pretty dramatically from May to today, down from 3 to 6% declines to an 11% decline for this year. And that's based on the second quarter, which is probably going to come in right around 13 or 14% down. Um, the good thing about Best Buy is that they don't seem to have the inventory problem that Target and Walmart have. And that might be why you're seeing, um, you know, some relative strength versus those other uh, same store sales warnings that we saw because they don't need to necessarily discount. Um, in many in, in many categories, Best Buy was not able to meet demand during the pandemic due to supply chain issues. And so um, I do think that there is a little bit of an upside here on the inventory side, um, but it's certainly a name that we're looking at. Uh, we don't own a lot of big box retail, so it is a concern for us and we are reviewing the holding. Okay, thank you for that. We'll take a quick break, come back with final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. You're listening to Halftime Report in progress. All the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Some of you will see a lot of similarities between the beginning of the Build Back Better initiative. It's not all of it, but we've moved a long way. I'll be going into detail in a minute, but simply put, the bill will lower health care costs for millions of Americans. <clears throat> it will be, and uh, 
It will be the most important investment, not hyperbole, the most important investment we've ever made in our energy security and developing cost savings uh, and job creating clean energy solutions for the future. It's a big deal. We'll also, for the first time in a long time, begin to restore fairness to the tax code, begin to restore fairness by making the largest corporate nations and the largest corporations in America pay their fair share without any, without any new taxes on people making under $400,000 a year. Experts, even some experts who have criticized my administration in the past, agree that this bill, this bill will reduce inflationary pressures on the economy. This bill will, in fact, reduce inflationary pressure on the economy. It's a bill that cost, uh, will cut your cost of living and reduce inflation for, and it lowers the deficit. It strengthens our economy for a, in the long run as well. This bill has won the support of climate leaders like former Vice President Al Gore, who said the bill is, quote, long overdue and a necessary step to ensure the United States takes decisive action on the climate crisis that helps our economy and provides leadership for the world by example. Inflation hawks, like former Secretary of Treasury Larry Summers said, quote, this bill is fighting inflation. Let me say, this bill is fighting inflation. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.